this before we get started. How many people came with an expectation of receiving from God? I mean, literally like, Lord, we want to see your glory this morning. And we came and everything about us, we came to set before you so that we can set the record straight this morning. Amen. Now, I do want us uh, a few disclaimers before we get started. I'm going to pray for a tremendous focus this morning because we're, we're covering some, some tough stuff uh, this morning. You know, because one of the toughest things to face in life is the truth about our own lives. That can be pretty tough. And I don't want us to zone out for a minute. I know sometimes we get caught up in thought and our minds drift and, or we may get a text and we may answer that text. And I don't want you to get distracted for a minute and then get back engaged and then get hit in the face with something. And you'd be like, what in the world did he just say? I mean, because it's just that serious. But I believe this right here. Today, I believe the power of God is present to heal. I believe we're going to see some phenomenal things occur in our lives. I believe God will use this church to help turn the tide of a generation. And also, I believe God will reveal some of the bondage that's been in our own lives. See, a lot of times we try to find the rationale behind the tough times and the aggression of the devil in our lives. And I believe what we're going to unveil today is one of the greatest deceptions that's in the Word of God. But this is the great part about it, that God's grace is richer than any sin in our life. That God's his hand is greater than any aggression of the devil in life. And so what we're going to do is unveil these things, get our lives right, and let God use us for his kingdom glory. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray, and we're just going to dive right into it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you for your grace and your goodness. And Father, we thank you for the majesty and the power of your being. See, Father, truly, Lord, you have made it this way in life, that you are the only one that can deal with our sin issue in life. And so often, Father, we see people... They try to buy their way out of sin. They try to rationalize their sin. They try to counsel themselves out of sin. They look for a medication to cover sin. And the truth of the matter is only God can deal with the sin in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for making it that way because it compels us to come to you. Father, today we're discussing a great truth in your word. And, Father, if we would just embrace it, how our lives would be liberated. I guarantee everyone here, if through the grace of God, if they would just receive the truth, about this subject matter, Father, it will liberate their lives, not only their lives, but their children's lives, to the glory of God. And so our hearts are wide open to you this morning. Father, speak a word to us that we may know and grow and understand the will of God. Father, help us focus this morning, because I don't want anyone to miss anything, because it's too important. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, just want to cover spiritual warfare for a little bit, to give you a simple definition of spiritual warfare. All spiritual warfare is, is when the lives of the devil, his lies are combated by the truths of the gospel, all right? The enemy sold a lie in our lives, the word of God invades our lives, expels the truth and crushes, and expels the lie and crushes it in our life. Now, Jesus says this right here in John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, all right? And so in one verse alone, he equates truth with freedom and deception with bondage, right? And if there's any deception in our lives, there's bondage in our lives. And God wants us to be free. He says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Now, we all want to be sanctified in Christ. That is set apart for a very important work. But we cannot be sanctified apart from his truth. When we are sanctified, it's truth that sanctifies us. The revelation of God's truth and our acceptance of it. That's what sanctifies us and sets us apart for the glory of God. So we're going to discuss some truths this morning that may be real hard to take because it was tough for me when God first revealed it to me. But I guarantee you it has helped to revolutionize my life once I embraced it. And I believe it's going to do the same thing in your life. What we're going to talk about is simply this right here. How the devil has deceived the world 
and deceive parents into being their children's worst enemy. Now, none of us would rightfully do that. We would never say, I would do anything against my child. I love my child too much. Remember, it is deception. I'm reading this right here. This is in Revelations, and I'm going to read in Revelations, and we don't have to turn to it. I'm just going to read it real quick. In Revelations chapter 12, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. It says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Listen, deception is the enemy's greatest weapon. That's why the Bible tells us over and over again, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. Simply mean, and when you see deceived, this simply means don't think it's one way when it's really another way. And listen, the enemy, boy, he is the master deceiver. It's what he aims to unleash in our lives. That's why the truths of the gospel are necessary to unveil the deception of the devil. And today we're going to talk about how the enemy has used us to become our, our, friend, our children's worst enemy. And I said that it would help us turn the tide of a generation because I believe the burden of it is on parents. See, we can talk about a wayward generation all we want because that's what people are doing. If you have pastors conferences across America right now that's talking about how do we turn the tide of a generation? How do we inflame the hearts of young people? And I really believe that the key to that right there lies with the parents and not the children. Do you realize in the Old Testament and New Testament, the directives that's given to children in the Old Testament is found in the Ten Commandments, that you shall honor your mother and your father? That's the main directive of the Old Testament. You know what the main directive of the New Testament is right here? This right here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the will of God. This is God's will, that children would obey their parents. And so he puts everything on the parents and counts on their leadership. And so we can talk all we want about a wayward generation and how the ravenous wolves are coming in and scattering the flock. But this is what I truly believe, that the ravenous wolves wouldn't be able to come in and scatter the flock if the good shepherds kept their posts. If the people who are spiritual, who follow God, if they were doing what they were supposed to do, it wouldn't be so easy for the devil to come in and wreak havoc in the lives of this generation. And so we're talking about being used to turn the tide of a generation on one hand, but on the other hand, we're talking about being freed up in our own lives so that we may do the work of God. We never thought that one of the major course sin issues in our lives would be what we were doing to our children. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 18. I'm just going to read this real quick. He said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a, a milestone was tied around his neck and he was cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Listen, it's just saying, man, that Jesus takes very precious what we do in the lives of young people. It means a lot to him. He said, listen, before you cause one of them to sin, it would be better for you if a millstone, which was a huge stone. He said, you would rather have that tied around your neck and be cast into the sea before you cause one of these little ones to stumble. And it's exactly what the enemy aims to get us to do. And so we're going to, man, reveal this today. I believe we're going to reverse the works of the devil through the might of the spirit. We're going to be liberated and the generation to turn. Amen. Here we go, unveiling the lies of the devil and what he's doing in our lives. We're going to start in Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter, five, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And listen to what it says. He says simply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you rise up. 
in the morning. Listen to what he's saying. That we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And these commandments that I teach you today, you shall teach them diligently to your children. When you rise up, when you go by the way, when you lie down at night, listen to what he's saying. He's just simply saying that God has entrusted that you are going to raise your children in the oracles of God. He said you are to teach them the commandments of God all throughout the day. Whatever the conversation that comes up, you should always find a way to tie back into Jesus. That as parents, we are responsible for the spiritual formation of our children's lives. And it's something that God entrusted to us. But let me tell you about my life. See, I was 30 years old before grace came into my life, and I didn't understand these things. And so if this is God's directive for parents, that you were to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, and you were to teach them diligently the commandments that I've told you today, if I had not been putting that in my kids' lives up until that point, the obvious question arose, then what have I been putting in their lives, right? And that, that struck me to the core. Okay, if I hadn't been doing this, then what have I been sowing into my kids' lives? Let me tell you what I found out, what God revealed to me, so devastated my life that it drove me to repentance. And I'm praying that it's going to do the same thing in your life because there's victory. And I guarantee you, after we hear this, we'll be thankful for grace. Amen. We'll be thankful for the hand of God. The first deception we're going to find in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 10. While you're turning, I'll give you the backdrop. This is when God sent Moses to Egypt to command that Pharaoh let his people go. And, uh, and Pharaoh refused. He did not want to let the children of Israel go. And so what God did was unleash a series of plagues on Egypt in the effort that Pharaoh would let his children go. I'm picking up in Exodus chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Listen to this. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness felt over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go. Serve your Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Listen to this right here, because this is one of the most cynical plots of the enemy in all of Scripture. This is one of the earliest attempts of Satan to get the people of God to go to God with no sacrifices at all, right? He says, go ahead and serve the Lord your God. Only let your flocks and your herd be kept back. See, they, in that time, they offered the blood of bulls and goats and rams as sacrifices unto God. Now, today, according to Romans 12, we're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, our bodies. But back then... They had to sacrifice livestock and cattle to the Lord. And it was Satan's early attempt of getting the people of God to go to God with no sacrifices, saying, go and serve the Lord. Oh, but leave your cattle and your herds behind. He's saying, don't go to God with any sacrifices at all. Today's equivalent would be, go to church, just don't live the life. Read your Bible, just don't do what it says, right? No sacrifices at all. But this is what's most cynical about it. He says in one sentence by itself, also, let your good little ones go with you. Why? Because Satan wanted the children of God to have a front row seat as to see what vain worship looks like. You go with God with no sacrifices and let your children watch you. 
Yeah, go to church on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, live how you want to live. And make sure your children have a front row seat to it so that they can understand what vain worship looks like. We would never say we would do this intentionally. It's just God unveiling the truth of the gospel so that they can come into our lives and dispel the deception that the enemy has caused us to sow in our kids' lives. It is absolutely absurd to think that the enemy will use us to be our children's worst enemy. I don't know about you, but after God showed this to me, I took it personal. I really didn't like what the devil had done uh, in my life. According to Deuteronomy 6, the protocol for raising your children is to raise them up in the commandments of the Lord. You know what the devil did? He was like, wow, okay, if God is going to use the parents to be the children's most influential people in their lives, he felt, why don't he use them? I'll use them to be the worst enemy. And that's why this is so deceptive. And so that biggest one, vain worship. Is it present in our lives to where I go to church on Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week, man, I really don't give God any regard, nor is there any spirituality reflected in my life. Because just remember, your children have a front row seat to it. Number two, another deception that's just as cynical is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And we'll read this real quick. Listen to this. This is real simple. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Listen to me here. I believe one of the biggest provocations in the world, all right, is this right here. When fathers would tell their son or when mothers would tell their daughters, get this, yeah, I said it, but I better not ever hear you say it. I did it but I better not ever see you do it. See, I'm the adult, and you're the child. You do what I say. You don't do what I do. Listen to me. It's the greatest provocation in the world, and you have no idea the open door that you've just given to Satan in your child's life. Listen to this right here, and I'm going to help you with this. When God blessed you with children, all right, when he blessed you with children, his trust was that you were going to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord. He counted on you, understanding what he wanted, and you are going to raise these children the way I want you to raise these children. He was dependent on you. And so since he was dependent on you, this is what God did. He said, I'm going to make your leadership in your child's life real easy. I'm going to take your son, fathers, and I'm going to take your daughter, mothers, and I'm going to place something inside of them that's going to innately make them want to be just like you. I'm going to make your leadership real easy. They're going to want to be just like you. And when you tell your children, don't say what I say and don't do what I do, what you are saying in essence is this right here. I don't want you to be like me. And you have no idea the open door that you just opened to Satan in your children's lives or what you have just done to them. Do you not understand this right here, fathers? Everything about your son when he's little, everything about him, his only purpose in life is to be just like you. That's all he got, is to be just like you. Listen, Ma, all she has when she's a little girl is to be just like you. That's why sons want to be like their fathers, be it good or bad. That's why mothers, daughters want to be like their mothers, be it good or bad. And when you say to them, I don't want you to be like me, you have just snatched purpose from their life. They have nothing else to turn to. It's the most confusing message that you will ever give them. And then you know who's there to explain everything that just happened? Here comes the devil putting his arm around him, saying, hey, listen, I know you're hurt. I know you're angry, but let me explain to you what just happened. Because they have no purpose now, because you struck that void in their life. 
And then the enemy turns and he shows him the world. And he says, I got all of this. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a new purpose. And we wonder why they go astray. Aren't you thankful for grace? That God is able to correct the mess that we've done, even though it was deception? I'm telling you, it's real. The enemy is the deceiver, and he'll use us to be our children's worst enemy. This is a big one. I want you to follow me on this right here. We're going to read this in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, another deception of the devil and what he does to us to make us be our children's worst enemy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is another simple scripture. It just simply says that marriage is honorable before all, and the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. In one verse alone, God condones sex inside of marriage, that marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. But also in that same verse, he condemns sex outside of marriage. But adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. Listen, the act of sex commands the covenant of marriage. All right? There's no other way to do it. This is what God desires. Now, why is that a big deal as it relates to what we're talking about this morning? Because according to the latest statistics, 40.7% of all children born in the United States are born out of wedlock, meaning the husband and the wife are not married. And in each people group, the higher the percentage, the more they deal with crime and poverty and lack of education and all of these things. It's a direct correlation, juvenile delinquency, right alongside children being born out of wedlock. Listen to these statistics. Amongst the African-American race, 70.2.2, 70.2 of all percent of uh, the children in the African-American culture being born out of wedlock. American Indians, 66.9%. Hispanics, 53.5%. Caucasians, 29.4%. That's being born out of wedlock. And this is a big deal to God. Let's listen to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. Let me tell you why it's a big deal. The Bible says this right here in Deuteronomy 23, 2. One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Listen, aren't you thankful for grace? Yeah, it, it makes me really embrace it because I had both of my boys before I was married. And when God showed me this, man, it stifled my life that they were not to enter in, into the assembly because they were of illegitimate birth. Let me tell you what I have made a personal ministry of mine. When I know of a young girl or a woman that's having a baby out of wedlock, I really try to get to the hospital, all right? Because I want to be there right when the baby is born, but not right when it's born. I didn't even see my own children born because I just couldn't take it. But as soon as they get everything cleaned up, then I go in there and, and get to it. But get this. I say from the time that baby comes out, we have to acknowledge what's been done. See, this is what most young people think, especially those who are born out of wedlock. This is what they think. Yeah, I'm pregnant, but my side of the family has accepted it, my mom and dad. And then his side of the family has accepted it, and he's happy, and I'm happy. We had a baby shower, and we got everything that we needed. And so I really believe that it was the will of God for me to have this baby. You know what I tell him? It, it does not matter how curly his hair is or how blue his eyes are. I don't care who agreed with it, and I don't care if you got everything this child will ever need. It was not God's will for your life if you are not married. It was not God's will for your life, for you to have this child. I said, and you have to acknowledge and confess this because this is the wonderful part about it. The moment you acknowledge and confess what's been done, the moment you tell God, God, okay, I put the cart before the horse. We got this out of order. We should have never did this. 
But in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to take this child and give this child to you and dedicate this child to you instantaneously. That child's destiny become great in Jesus Christ. But he needs for us to embrace his truth. And it may be tough because I've had some single moms who say, I don't care what nobody say, my baby, a blessing to me. Yeah, you. Hey, all we can do, man, is confer the truth, right? That's all we can do, man, is tell the truth. We got to face these things if you want to be used to turn the tide of a generation and break sin in your life and the power of bondage. Man, God will do it if we'll just embrace uh, these things. Another deception. I know we got to kick it in high gear. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Listen to this. It says, parents, if we were to train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is older, he would not depart from it. This is what God desires, that we must train them up in the Word of God, all right? We cannot expect for it to come out of our children until we take time to first put it in our children. Let me tell you about my life. I was raised with extreme ethics and morality, all right? I just was not raised with Jesus Christ in my life. And this is what I found out in life, that in the day of temptation and sin, listen to me, morality and ethics will not be able to keep your child. It won't be able to do it. The only thing that's going to determine whether your child stands or falls in the day of temptation and adversity is the Word of God that's in him. That's the only thing that's going to determine whether he stands or falls. So you have to take time to put that Word into your child because it's not about them doing the right thing. It's about them becoming the right person. And if they become the right person, then doing the right thing comes automatically. Amen? We got to get that word of God in them. Another deception. I'm going to read this out of Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not going to read all verse 3 through 11, but I am going to read verse 11 in Hebrews, all right? And the Bible just says this right here, that no chastisement seems to be joyful for the moment, but rather painful. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Listen to that. No chastisement seems to be joyful for the moment, but rather painful. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Why is that a big deal? Because all the way through verses 3 through 11, it talks about the chastisement of the Lord. And it compares the Lord's chastisement to a father's chastisement as to how he corrects his son. This is a big deal today because I see too many parents that will lower God's standard in their life for the sake of being their child's friend. I just don't want to lose him, and I just don't want to not see her, and especially when you got grandkids involved. I just don't want to not see them, and so I just go ahead and accept this. Now, listen to me. You're going to do yourself a tremendous favor to uphold the standards of God. God will help you if you would not compromise it, and it happens all the way across the board. I see coaches who has a star athlete on the team who is as rebellious as ever, but because he can perform on that field or that court, anything he does goes because we just need you on the field. And I see all across the board, God's standard just being Lord for the sake of being somebody's friend. Listen to me. If we would not lower God's standard but uphold God's standard, he honors it. Don't let them cause you to, uh, to lower God's standard because you're going to have more problems in the latter end. He said, listen, no chastisement seems to be joyful for the moment, but rather painful. It's not joyful for you, nor is it joyful for the one who is having to receive chastisement. It says, but afterwards, in time. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Believe me, you will win. God always wins if you will uphold the standards of God. How about this for a deception? Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 just simply talks about seed time and harvest time. As long as the earth remains, there shall be seed time and harvest time. All right? The Bible says there's a time to sow and there's a time to reap. In Corinthians, it says those who sow sparingly shall also reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully shall also reap bountifully. 
it talks about us sowing seeds in the lives of our children. Now, this is what happens, and this is the, natural, the, the regular progression of life, right? As a parent, you have your child, and you begin to mature, all right? You're not the same person 10 to 15 years later. I like, to, I like to call it turning the curve on maturity. And so you begin to mature. Maybe you get in church and you start getting your life together and everything is going well. And you're just like, praise, praise the Lord, I'm good and, and everything is going fine. But when you look at back in the rearview mirror and you look at your children, guess what's happening in their life? All the seeds that you had sown when they were younger is just now beginning to blossom in their life, Right? And we, we understand this right here. We understand the concept of growth uh, in the physical realm. Can anybody sow an apple seed today and go outside tomorrow and eat an apple off that tree? Why not? Because it takes time. Yeah. But we just don't take that same understanding and apply it in the spiritual realm, that it takes time for these seeds to grow. So guess what happened? Every time, Pop, that your child saw you mistreat mom, or every time mom... Your child heard the argument with dad. Every time they saw outbursts of wrath, maybe when you were cut off on the road, every act of hostility, every act of deception, guess what you did? You sowed a seed. And over here, when you turn the curve of maturity in life, guess what's happening back there? It's just now starting to grow. And we're so disconnected from this truth. When that seed began to blossom in their life, guess what we say? I don't know where they get that from. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. I, I just don't understand it. Now, all, all you got to do is go back and examine your life, and I guarantee you, you will understand it. But listen to this. Aren't you thankful for grace? You know what the Bible says? That Jesus declares himself to be Lord of the harvest. That he determines what grows and what does not grow in your life. That God has the authority to go back and kill every ill seed that you've ever, said, that, that you've ever sown in your child's life with just a simple command. All he needs for you to do is acknowledge and confess it, that, Lord, maybe I was, I was deceived on this one. God knows you never meant it, but all he requires is that we acknowledge and confess this and get it right with God. How about this one right here, Proverbs 18, 21? This is a big deal. The Bible says this right here in Proverbs 18, 21. He said that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it shall eat the fruit thereof. He's just simply saying this right here. What you speak in your life is what you'll get in your life. And you got to understand this, parents. Everything that you've said to your children in life, every time you speak something over their life, you put forces into motion that's going to accomplish what you said, be it good or bad. You can put positive forces into motion or negative forces into motion. Do you realize that it was an Old Testament principle that they would always lay hands on their children and that they would always speak blessings over their life? But right now today... We don't speak those same blessings, and we are very careless with our words. Sometimes when we get upset with our children, we say some things, man, that we just ought not to say. You know, in the book of James chapter 3, it talks a whole lot about, man, the purpose of our words, how we should use our words. And it lets us know that we should use our words to build up, to edify, to encourage, but we don't always do that. James even asked a question. He says, can spring water and salt water come from the same spring? And then he relates it to this right here. Then how is blessing and curses coming out of your mouth? Right? How can that be? And the James, he's looking kind of like right now. I want you to explain that one to me. But it's exactly what we do. See, we got to understand this right here, how precious words are to God. Do you realize that everything that exists today was created through God's spoken word? 
According to the Bible, everything in the universe was created by God's spoken word, and everything in this world is upheld by the power of his word. He wants you to understand how important your words are, but we speak foolishness too often, and we often do more harm than good. You know what, man? God says this right here in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 36 and 37. He says, listen to this. For every idle word that men may speak, he will give account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. I love the fact that he used idle words, because this is what God is saying. Yeah, those words that you spoke that you really didn't mean, yeah, the idle words, that you, because you will come back and say, oh, Lord, I said that, but I didn't mean that. He said, yeah, those words, those are the ones you're going to give account for. Because see, while you didn't understand the effect that they were having, he said they really were having a big effect. While you didn't, while you thought it was funny, God didn't think it was funny. And while you didn't mean it, God meant what he said in his word, that you're going to give account for every idle word spoken in the day of judgment. You got to understand that faith in your spoken word is a principle of the kingdom of God, that God wants us to exercise it and master it, that we would declare a thing and God would confirm it with the accompanying sign. He wants us to call forth those things that do not exist as though they did, according to Romans 4, 17. He wants us to walk in that power, but guess what God cannot do? He cannot unleash the full power of his word in your life because this reason right here. He know you will do more harm than good if he was to do that. Because we know how to dress it up when we're going to God. We know how to say the right things, right? Oh, Lord, hallelujah. Bless me in the name of Jesus. Forgive my sins and, Father, grant to me my request, my petitions, my supplication. Boy, we make that thing sound real good. But catch us tomorrow when we get upset. Get out of my life. You make me sick. I hope I don't ever see you again. Drop dead. See, God knows you would do more harm than good if he were to unleash the full power of his word in his life. So he withholds it from you, and we wonder what's going on. Listen to me. The words that we speak are very, very important to God. And if we begin to speak words, man, that will curse our children's lives, by calling them stupid, you make me sick, get out of my face, and all these things. You got to understand, man, that you're hurting them, not helping them, even though you just meant to get your point across. See, a lot of us think that, man, only, it, I got to say it this way for them to listen, right? The Bible says, no, speak the truth in love, and there's no convenient occasion to abandon that practice. But I know a lot of people feel that way, and not just parents and children. Sometimes wives feel like that, right? I got to yell for him to listen. If I don't say it that way, he won't even give me, he won't pay me any attention. You got to understand, it may be, uh, appease your rationale, but it's an offense against God. And this is what God says in his word. Listen to this. Let God be true and every man a liar. God really don't care how you feel about it. He said, it does not make my word void. I meant what I said, according to the word of God. Listen to this. In Mark chapter 10, and we got to hurry up now. But we're talking about divorce. We understand, man, how divorce impacts our children's lives. And it's amazing to hear the rationale behind this. Well, I know some people who were divorced, and their children are just fine. And I don't care how much he laughs after your divorce. And I don't care how much he continues on after your divorce. Do not think divorce does not impact the lives of children. It opens a spiritual door that's going to hurt them. But aren't you thankful for grace? Because it's certainly forgivable. And God will, man, heal every wound. You know, people get divorced and they try to, man, cover up these things, man, and, and they don't understand that nothing they do is going to cover the hurt of their child. I don't care if they see dad every weekend, and I don't care if he lives with mom, and I don't care how much both people buy him. None of that matters. There are certain wounds that will be afflicted in a child's life that no earthly comfort will do. It's going to take grace to heal spiritual wounds. You understand me? Grace 
to heal these things. And this grace can only be given through acknowledgement and confession. It's the only way that we'll be able to make it right. Listen to me. This is too easy to get right. That God has made it a method of repentance, of coming to him and getting these things right. His truth will unveil, will unveil the deception of the devil uh, lies in your life. But what you do for, with it from that point is going to be up to you. Now, repentance is this right here, to feel such sorrow and, and for sin or fault that you are disposed to change for the better. That you realize where you were wrong. And you say, Lord, you know what? Today I done figured it out. I did not realize that the devil had that type of deception over me. In fact, Lord, I'm pretty impressed at his deceptive tactics. I pray not only do you close the door to the works of the devil, I pray that you kill every seed that was sown. I pray, Lord, that you can cast down every improper word that I ever spoke to them. Father, I pray that you erase every evil example that I set for them. I pray that you kill every evil seed that I had sown in their lives. Lord, I pray that you go back and close the door to the devil of the things that I opened in my child's life. Because it's a tough reality to think I gave the devil access to my child's life. We would never do it. But this is what's refreshing right here. According to Acts chapter 17, verse 30, listen to the Lord, what the Lord says. These past times of ignorance, God has overlooked. Now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Listen, God said, I'm good with it. You didn't know it, and I understand it. But he remembers we're just created from the dust. He said, I, kn I know you never meant it. But these past times of ignorance, I'm going to overlook. Don't even worry about it. But now I'm going to command that you repent, that you acknowledge and confess before me the wrong that you've done. Not only does it instantaneously close the door to the devil in your child's life, and I don't care if they're three or 30, it doesn't matter. Job offered up sacrifices daily for his children, and they were grown. And he still did it because he understand how important it was to keep, him, to keep those kids covered. You have to do it, but they're not the only benefactors. See, there's a lot of rooted sin in our lives that we never knew where the devil aggression was coming from. Lord, I'm living my life. Where is this mess coming from? Because we look everywhere and we examine every area of our life. On work, I treat people right. I always try to help. I feed the homeless when I get a chance. You know where we, where we didn't look? In our own home. And we never thought, man, that the enemy would trick us to be our children's worst enemy. And that the sin that I was perpetrating, one against a, a friend, and one against a person that's far away from me, is right here under my nose in my own house. I don't know about you, but I was offended, man, when I, when I learned these things. Boy, I took that thing real personal. I said, Lord, no, the devil won't have any more hold in my life. And not only that, you close the door and use me to make a difference in turning the tide of a generation. So this is what we're going to do. It does not matter if you saw yourself in every part of this message, or maybe you saw yourself in just a little part of this message. Let me ask you this right here. If a burglar breaks into a house to rob this house, does he need to go through every window and every door in the house to get in? Or does he just need to get through one door and he can loot the whole house, right? See, all the devil needs is to get one foothold in your life, and he can man, take it from there. Just let him in, and he can take it from there. But when you close the door, and this is the refreshing part. Revelation said that Jesus closes doors that no man can open. And he opens doors that no man can close. When Jesus closes, it, it's a done deal. And we have the right, man, to take back this authority. And not only that, but to be used to turn the tide of a generation. Everybody follow me? So listen to what we're going to do. 